Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 99, interview of Dr. Paul Seongo Jong of the podcast, What Do You Mean God Speaks? Today we break new ground with The Christian Atheist, having never before done an interview of any sort. We have Dr. Paul Jung from the University of Toronto. Am I right about that? Um, see, that's the thing with academia, right? Um, I'm, an, <laughs> a, I'm an inactive adjunct faculty at the University of Toronto, Toronto School of Theology, gotcha. because I taught at Wycliffe College at University of Toronto a couple of years ago. So okay. I'm actually not too sure about what my status there is right now. I'm, it's, <laughs> I'm there on the file, so I'm like, okay, that yeah, will do. I- I have some of those myself hanging on from, from years gone by. So hmm. I'm not sure um, of my status on all the different places I've been either. <laughs> so you got your PhD from where? Uh, my PhD is from Fuller Theological Seminary. Some Fuller, okay. Yeah. Okay. So Dr. Jung, and please correct me if I'm pronouncing anything wrong at any point, Chung um, uh, is probably cl- uh, closer. It's Jung? uh instead of U. Yeah, Chung. Uh, Chung. Chung. Yeah. Chung. Okay. Good. Yeah. Is the author of God at the Crossroads of Worldviews toward a different debate about the existence of God. And I've not read your book. I apologize. I wish I had. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually just become aware of you in the last two weeks after my wife had been sending out. Uh, solicitations for us going on other podcasts because we're trying to promote the Christian atheist. Um, Mm -hmm. But I got so excited when I started listening to What Do You Mean God Speaks that we decided to take a departure from our normal mode of podcasting and try to do an interview with you. And so we'll see how this goes. I'm not a professional interviewer, and I'm hoping that we can just have a friend-to-friend chat today for all of these things. Mm-hmm. So I am excited to have you on. And you are not to be confused with Paul S. Chung, right? This is an um, entirely different person. Or I you think are. there is another person named Paul S. Chung, and he has yeah. a different specialty. Um, so I'm distinguished from Paul S. Chung by going Paul Sungo Chung. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I think his area is more toward like strict theology, whereas mine is more on philosophy and theology. Sorry for asking the personal question. What year were you born? 1978. 78. Okay. So you're, yep. you're a lot younger than me. I was born in 66. Right. So yeah, my wife was, nine, was 1970. So I'm, a, I'm significantly older than you. <laughs> um, and I, I, I took a different path back to faith in Christ because I started mm-hmm. as a Christian and went to Bible college to become a pastor. And right. uh, by the time I graduated from Bible college, I had gotten to the point where I was pretty much a, uh, an agnostic and started a PhD program at the University of California, Irvine, and became a full-out atheist for 25 years. So I am interested in your history. What is it you said at one point you were an agnostic? What was your background in your home? And then mm-hmm. how did agnosticism come about? And then what was the turn from agnosticism back to a Christian worldview? So I'm actually quite similar to you. I have a Christian background. Uh, my uh, family's from Korea, right? And there was a, Korea is one of those 
very interesting case among religious scholars, from what I understand, because it's one of those few Asian countries where Christianity really took off, right? And my uh, parents are from there. Um, I was born there, actually. I, I was raised in Canada, but I came here when I was pretty young. Uh, so I had this Christian background, and uh, I entered my undergrad uh, program at the University of Toronto, uh, not only as a Christian, but planning to go into a seminary. Okay. So, um, so I majored in philosophy and psychology, and they wouldn't do, let me do a triple major, so I had to do religious studies as a minor, but I planned that out so that I can go into a seminary. And here's where it gets interesting. So uh, this, this is what I began to realize when I, when I started listening to people. Actually, I also listened to uh, the, the episodes of the Looking Through the... Oh, yes. The looking yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. I got to where uh, you were talking about Jordan Peterson. He was my psychology professor, by the way, when I was studying at the University of Toronto. Right. Anyway. I listened to your episode on Peterson. Yep. Interesting. Oh, okay. Great. So... When I was listening to, so this, this is something that I began to realize uh, pretty recently, actually. So a lot of the people who were Christian and became an agnostic or an atheist, at least for a while, they have a slightly different emphasis than I do, I, I noticed recently, uh, which is that their faith was shaken by all of these intellectual questions and challenges. In my case, it's similar, but there's a different accent because I already went through all of those questions, even when, even when I was pretty young. So when I was in university, I thought through a lot of these things already. And I've, I had a position which was not as shakable. Okay. So what I actually did uh, during my university was, years was, was that. Was that because you in your home talked about those things? Or oh, yeah. was it because of the nature of the church that you were going to? discuss those things? Or how was it that you were more grounded than the vast majority of Christians that I see around us in today's world who are pretty much at sea on these questions? It's probably because my parents were much more open to me asking these questions and thinking right. them through. They were, how should I put it? They were the type of, type, type of people that basically when um, you have questions and if they didn't have an answer, they, they didn't pretend that they had the answer. They basically right. said, all right, you go and find out. So right. for me, I felt free to think about these um, things from multiple angles. So questions like uh, the Big Bang cosmology and evolution and what that means for the Bible. I had the freedom to sort of think about it in, in different places and rather than going, oh, no, I have yeah. to either the Bible or science. It, it, that, that wasn't really a, um, a big problem for me. But my question when I entered university was actually something like this. I have people who are around me who are clearly intelligent, but they don't believe in God. And I know their questions against Christianity, and I can pretty much um, answer them at least to somewhat to my satisfaction. But it seems like that doesn't move them either. So my next approach was that, hey, I'm going into a seminary. I need to figure out how people who aren't Christians and or who don't flat out believe in any God, uh, how they think. So I focus my studies on, on the courses where I get to be in their shoes, so to speak. So it wasn't that these questions undermine my faith so much as, so you can think of it with this metaphor. It wasn't that they were some, something that were invading my intellectual space and undermining that. I went on an expedition. Gotcha. And then got lost and decimated. So that's how I entered my agnosticism. So okay. I was thinking, okay, 
what would happen if I think like an atheist and think like an agnostic and think like, say, a Buddhist or a Taoist? Um, I went through all of those uh, things as well. And try to figure out why they think that way and why it makes so much sense to them. And when I understood that, I realized that, wow, it does make sense. And yeah. it sounds pretty solid, at least from their perspective. But now I don't know how to get back because <laughs> atheism sounds right. Agnosticism sounds right. Yes. Buddhism sounds right. Hinduism sounds right. All of that sounds right. Christianity doesn't sound wrong, but, you know, it gets lost in the sea of other voices, which then throws threw me into, uh, I suppose, an agnostic sort okay. of side and, to it. And let me see if I can anticipate where this goes, because in listening to your material, and I have not listened to everything, I haven't mm. even gotten through the full first season yet, but I've mm. already passed you on to others. So my nephew is absolutely enthralled with what you're doing and uh, enjoying it immensely. And so had you read Thomas Kuhn before this, or did you suddenly encounter Kuhn's work? Uh, that was during my university years. So I studied philosophy of science uh, okay. during one of my undergrad studies. And I thought that this is an interesting way to understand how science and probably something a lot bigger. I knew when I uh, first learned about him and read about him that his insight didn't apply just to science. Yes. Then I took the course by um, Jordan Peterson and I realized he's talking about the same thing, really. Yes. Like there, there's a structure to how we think. And there was a point where Peterson just straight out just said it like, yeah, T.S. Kuhn, that's an insight that I'm also delving on. I'm like, yeah, okay, I thought so. So this was after my expedition into agnosticism and getting lost. Okay. Right. But I was so still- Peterson came, came late in the process. Yeah. Was this graduate or undergraduate work? No, no. This, this was my third and fourth year of undergrad. So okay. I took uh, his- personality psychology my third year my first impression of him was uh let's put it this way i thought he was crazy because <laughs> he he paused if you listen to some of his lectures uh sometimes he has this long pauses right because he thinks yeah so i'm here i'm i'm used to like behavioral sciences and cognitive science which was interesting but he comes in he doesn't say anything for a minute and a half then he starts talking about his dreams. So I'm like, okay, this is weird. Like, this is very <laughs> weird. But by the time it's, that course ended, I'm like, okay, I'm taking his next course, which was yeah. some meaning, right? So uh, that was my fourth year. His courses um, sort of became sort of a complement to, uh, I guess, my personal project of going through all of these different worldviews. So my strategy became, because I've, I'm now lost at sea, so to speak, I said, let's go through all of these different worldviews and see what sort of current seems to go through all of them, right? And then maybe I can, I can sort of navigate my way through all, all of these things. So Yeah, that's um, fantastic. Me too. Right. And one of the things that's, that's helpful when you are from a very, very different culture from the West. So I have a South Korea, a Korean background. And even though I was raised in Canada um, through my family and because I have a lot of books written in Korean and some of them are very interesting. So I'm fluent in Korean. I can read most Korean books, right? And it structures how you think very differently when you do so. So yeah, well, good for your parents for making sure that you were able to do that as well. That's oh, yeah. fantastic. Good on them. And uh, that enabled me to have, I mean, it, it, when I studied East Asian philosophy, for example, and uh, Taoism and Confucianism, all of those things, it sounded familiar. 
even though my background was, was in Christianity, those things sort of go undercurrent in, within the Korean culture, sort of like how, say, uh, Greek philosophy and, and all of that is sort of undercurrent of Western civilization, right? So it sounds familiar. So I, I read through that. I read through Buddhism. Buddhism also is very, very strong, um, has a very strong presence in Korea. So that sounded familiar. Hinduism was new, but that was also interesting. So I, I went through all of those things and I found out that all of them had this notion or their search, you could say, for ultimate reality and, and truth and all of that. They have, a very, they have very different conceptions of it, but you have similar themes, right? So I took note of these similar themes. And then there was this Jordan Peterson guy, and he's talking about the psychology of these things. Yeah. But what he doesn't do, I noticed, was that he has all of these mythical characters that has these correspondence to, I suppose, psych- psychological processes and Bible. Later, he, t- um, he talks about that. But... And Pinocchio. Right. Oh, no, actually, <laughs> Pino- Pinocchio wasn't a thing when I took this course. Um, no, wait, no, Pinocchio. No, Lion King was a thing when, when, mm-hmm. when I first. So it's because, because I'm, I remember I'm one of his earlier students, right? So Okay. But he, he's a psychologist. He, he doesn't put it in terms of, this is how a worldview works. This is how right. people think about it philosophically, metaphysically, uh, ontologically, you know, all of these different, he, he's at a different le- level of analysis. So I, I had to sort of take that, apply it to what I learned uh, regarding all of these different worldviews. And all of that sort of went into my book, A God at the Crossroads Worldviews, because w- one of the questions that sort of emerged when I was going through all of this is that, so you have all of these different worldviews. And is this dissertation of- work? So it's, it's my modified dissertation. Okay. Uh, it took a few years for it to be published uh, through University of Notre Dame Press, which has an interesting backstory behind that, um, yeah. or why that took a few years. Sure. But I sort of took this question all the way to my, uh, to, uh, to my PhD studies, which was, you have these different worldviews uh, from, say, scientific naturalism and secular humanism to different religious worldviews to, say, Christianity. And not only do they have different beliefs, they think about things differently. Each words that they argue over, they understand them very differently and they utilize them very differently. But then when they come together and they debate over things, they talk past each other because a lot of the times these words don't mean the same thing, but they think they do, right? The incommensurability thesis. Yeah, I see that you use that a lot. Yes. And if that's the case, is there a way that people can communicate across worldviews so that the debate can bear any sort of fruit, so to speak, right? And um, some people that I read were, I suppose, pessimistic. I was searching for a more optimistic one. Um, there was a philosopher, um, there is, it's very, very old, but he, is, uh, he published from Notre Dame, which is, why, which is the reason why I wanted to publish from Notre Dame, and which I did. So mm-hmm. uh, Alistair McIntyre. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yes. I'm McIntyre. Yep. You met McIntyre? No, I've never met him. No, okay. I'm like, familiar with McIntyre. Oh my goodness, okay. Um, <laughs> what he writes in his magnum opus, After Virtue and later, Who's Justice, Which Rationality, his idea sort of got formulated by answering T.S. Kuhn and the problem of multiple paradigms, right? Okay. And his answer was something like, if you are fluent in both intellectual traditions, so in my language, if you're fluent in both rival worldviews, you can think in terms of both. You right. can speak in terms of both. You can speak their language. You know why they think they, um, their view is true. 
you right. know what sort of problems that they're having in terms of their own worldviews, right? right? So it's, it's not someone outside criticizing them. It's it's the problems that they're already struggling with and they know they're struggling with. So if you can do it for both worldviews, and if you can formulate something either from one worldview or maybe by integrating the two together, that enables you to understand both worldviews, where they're going, and then uh, pose a way forward for them, even in the terms of their position, then you've sort of done something that cross worldviews and maybe brought them together and advanced them further. And then his argument is that, and we, we already have a case study of someone actually doing this uh, with Thomas Aquinas, where he brought Aristotelianism and right. Christian Platonism together, Augustinianism together, and he, he was able to do it. So my book, uh, God at the Crossroads of Worldviews, apply that to the, uh, to the debate of, about God. We have such problems whenever we are trying to debate about God because either we don't realize that we are talking from very, very different worldviews, so we think differently so that we are talking past each other, right. and, or when we realize that we don't actually know how to cross the gap. Right. This is, I think, why I got so excited when I started listening to your work because of the similarities in our approach to things. And mm. the reason my podcast is called The Christian Atheist is because precisely that reason, these yes. two opposing worldviews coming together in a single person and allowing me to see the rationality on both sides of the debate mm -hmm. and say, wait a second, you, you, especially in the new atheists, you people are saying an awful lot of things that are not contradictory to the Christian worldview but you're not saying them in ways that we would understand as Christians to be mm. consonant with what we as Christians would say. Mm. And for them, for atheists, they utterly reject that notion completely. Whereas the Christians, when you start telling them this, they say, wait a second, you're kind of right. Some of the things they're saying about God, some of the things that they embrace in the atheist community, the very notion that science can yield us truth is fundamental to the Christian worldview, but the atheists themselves don't recognize it as such. And so the problem of translation, of getting them to understand that someone like Sam Harris, who embraces so much of the, the materialist worldview, but also at the same time, isn't recognizing that he is embracing a huge amount of the Christian tradition underneath the surface that he's not mm -hmm. facing. And so when I heard you talking about the things that I was talking about in a new way, it was just so exciting for me because it's like, this guy's making the points that I've always wanted to make in the ways that I wanted to make them. <laughs> so I'm feeling like I've failed in, in some of the ways in my own stuff, but we're approaching the same material and saying a lot of the same things, but in different ways. And I love that. And so I'm excited to listen to the rest of your stuff. And I'm sorry that I didn't listen to it before we talked first, but maybe mm -hmm. we can do this again as time goes forward. Oh, that'd be great. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, 
a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.